If you would turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, we are continuing our study in this magnificent and lengthy sixth chapter of John. It's one of the longest chapters in the Bible, 71 verses in this chapter. We will not finish it yet today. There's still yet one more text for us next week. But we will be continuing in the discourse that our Lord Jesus Christ is having with the Jews concerning the bread of life. We'll pick up our text this morning in verse 48 and read through verse 59. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. For the word of the Lord is completely inerrant. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. John chapter 6, beginning at verse 48. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. O Lord our God, we pray this morning that you would open up your word to us. That in your word we would know the Lord Jesus Christ better. That we would come to a greater realization of all that he has done for us that His works are finished, and that if we believe on Him, we will have eternal life. Lord, open our eyes that we might see Jesus. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. We have been looking for some time at the necessity of of faith. Not a chapter has gone by in John's gospel where Jesus has not told us that we have to believe 
and of the blessings that come to those who do believe. I think the most famous is John 3.16, where we are told that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. But that's not the only verse in John's Gospel that lays upon us a call to believe. In this chapter alone, verse 40 is very clear. Jesus says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. But there is an additional question for us to answer. What does believing look like? What do we do when we believe? What does it mean to believe? Some will say they believe, and it doesn't change their life at all. For others, they can't tell you exactly what they believe. And so Jesus here uses a shocking metaphor to bring our attention to what believing means. We'll have to look at it closely to find out what Jesus does not say in this text and what he does say in this text. And when we see what he says, we will find assurance and comfort. So in a text that's difficult for our ears, I'd like us to look at it under two main headings. First, what Jesus does not say. What he's not telling us. What's not found in the text, whether biblical or not. And then secondly, what Jesus does say. What he is communicating to us in this passage. What we are meant to learn from this passage and the discourse of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's start then by looking at what Jesus does not say. You will remember that this entire chapter has been focused on food. It started when Jesus was teaching a large crowd and they were hungry. His disciples said, we need to send the crowd away. We have no way to feed them. But Jesus used that as an opportunity to show a sign of his deity. He fed the 5,000 men plus women and children and made a great impression on that crowd. So great an impression that the crowd followed him around the lake as he crossed the lake and they came to the other side and they came wanting more food. They wanted Jesus to meet their needs, to serve them. But Jesus would have none of that. Instead, he used it as an opportunity to teach them. He described himself as the bread of life. And he told them to stop working for the food that perishes, but instead to seek the food that leads to eternal life. He told them to stop working for their own justification and their own works and to simply receive the grace of God. Then the people brought up to him manna in the wilderness. 
They reminded Jesus that not just one occasion, but day after day, month after month, year after year, they had manna in the wilderness to eat. And Jesus told them that he brought to them the true bread from heaven. We saw that in verse 32 of this chapter. And Jesus reminded them in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. A great promise that Jesus brings to them. He tells them and us that he has come down from heaven that they might live forever. And then you will recall that the conversation moved to the synagogue in verse 41. The Jews began to grumble and complain because they were sure that they knew that Jesus was just an ordinary man who could not be what he claimed to be. And then Jesus told them that only by believing in him could he have eternal life. He reminded them that while manna was a blessing from God, everyone who ate it still died. That what they needed was bread that they could eat and never die. We see this in verses 49 and 50. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. And then to make the point clearly, he gets their attention in verse 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now, in case you missed it, the bread is his flesh. Now, Jesus is doing this deliberately to provoke their attention. And we can see that he hit his mark because in the next verse, verse 52, the Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? The word that John uses here, that they disputed among themselves, this is not a polite disagreement in a Bible study. This word means to fight, to quarrel. There's shouting and yelling going on. I dare say probably even some pushing and shoving. They're all up in arms. This is outrageous. How can this be, they say? It makes no sense. It wouldn't surprise me if some of them said, he's a crazy man. What's going on here? But Jesus then does something interesting. I hope that you're getting used to it by now. I think often we come to Jesus and we would expect Jesus to say something like, Oh, I'm so sorry you've misunderstood me and you're upset. Let me see if I can calm you down. Let me explain to you what I mean. There's no reason to get riled up here. Just everybody calm down and be gentle. Because that's exactly not what Jesus does. Look with me here at verse 53. Jesus says to them, truly, truly. Now, we've seen this before, haven't we? What does truly, truly mean? Listen up. It's coming. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. 
So we could put it this way. Jesus is doubling down here. Not only has he told them that they must eat his flesh, now he's saying they must drink his blood. So what is Jesus saying here? Well, let's start with what he's not saying. Let's begin with the easy part. Jesus is not advocating cannibalism. Now, it shouldn't take much for me to convince you of that. Not only does it not make sense to us, and not only is it disgusting, but such a thing is never advanced in anywhere in the Bible. And that's why the Jews were outraged. But what I want you to understand as we interpret the scripture is, just because someone else misunderstands what Jesus is saying, does not mean that we must go along with their interpretation. We need to look at the text. And so here we have in the Bible, people in the Bible, completely missing Jesus' point. It makes no sense because if he were to advocate actual eating of flesh and blood, it would go against the law of God. He would be sinning. There were strict dietary laws. Jesus could not break them. He could not advocate others to break them. And the law actually expressly forbade drinking any blood. Even eating meat with blood in it was a violation of Leviticus 17. You were not permitted to do that. So one of the blessings of the New Testament is a rare to medium rare steak. You could not do that in the Old Testament time. So Jesus is certainly not advocating this. And there's a good reason why God forbade them from eating and taking in the blood. It's because he said the life is in the blood. Now we can look back at that now and it makes sense because we can draw the connection between the life-giving blood of our Lord Jesus Christ and the sacrificial system of the animals and the blood that it prefigured. We see Jesus in the Old Testament. Now, this is common in the Old Testament, and I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you both this evening and in each of the evenings to come to join us for evening worship as we're going to be looking at texts like this, Old Testament texts that describe who Jesus is shadows of Jesus in the Old Testament. And we see in the New Testament, Jesus himself constantly making reference back to the law of the Old Testament. So, we are all safe here. There's no need to hide the Bible from the kids. There's no need to freak out. There's no cannibalism here. But there's a more serious misunderstanding of Jesus' metaphor that we need to dismiss as well. Some theologians have said that Jesus is describing the Lord's Supper. Because, of course, there is the act of eating and drinking in the Lord's Supper. And especially in the Roman Catholic Church, there is a doctrine where the bread and wine of the Supper are actually changed into the body and blood of Christ. The theological term for that is transubstantiation. And so it no longer is bread, it no longer is wine, it is the body and blood of Christ, it is a sacrifice of Christ again, and even though you can't tell from the touch and the taste of it, that is what is really 
happening. You actually do feed on Christ's flesh and blood. And they see Jesus giving directions to believers about the sacrament of the Old Testament. Now, this should strike us as odd. If you're unfamiliar with the Roman Catholic tradition, you may find it unbelievable. But I assure you, it is true. One of the tasks of the servants in the worship, the altar boys, is to ring the bell at the moment that the elements of the Lord's Supper are transformed into the body and blood of Christ. But even some Protestants see the Lord's Supper here in this text. And they believe that Jesus is teaching us about the importance of the sacrament in the life of the believer. But there are important reasons for us to reject this. The first and most important reason is we must draw God's truth from the text that he gives us. It's not sufficient for us to have Bible truth and to import it into this text. The Bible does speak about the Lord's Supper. It does give instruction. It does give description. But just because that's Bible truth doesn't mean that's what this is what Jesus is talking about here. Now, I think Jesus is not talking about the Lord's Supper because foremost, the Lord's Supper had not even been instituted yet. It would not be instituted for more than a year. So how could Jesus have wanted them to recognize a sacrament that was not in existence yet? Secondly, I want you to notice that Jesus is relating the eating and the drinking to salvation. Look at verse 53. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. And in verse 54, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. And what that would mean is the only way to be saved is to partake of the Lord's Supper. But that goes against everything that Jesus has been teaching us in this chapter and really in the whole of the gospel. Jesus tells us in this chapter that we must believe, in verse 29. He tells us we must come to Him, in verse 35. He tells us we must look to Him, in verse 40. What Jesus is doing is using a metaphor to describe believing, which is indeed saving. One final thing. The words in this passage are different. Jesus never uses the word flesh in the context of describing the Lord's Supper. Neither does Paul. The word body is used instead. And it goes even to the point of there is a different word for eat used here. That's why our translation translates it in some spots, feed on. It's a completely different word that's used in the context of the Lord's Supper. So, I think we can reject these wrong views. Jesus does not say, be a cannibal. And he's not giving teaching 
on the Lord's Supper. Now, why is it important for us to know this? Why spend the time that we have? It's because Jesus used this metaphor for a reason. He wants us to understand what believing means. What it truly means to believe in Him. And He makes that point by using this metaphor. So that then brings us to what Jesus does say. Jesus has a reason for using this language. And it's not as if everyone is easily understanding what Jesus is saying. We have seen this before, haven't we? The Jews misunderstand him here. But remember Nicodemus? Jesus said, you must be born again. And his response is, how do I crawl back up in my mother's womb? Do you remember the woman at the well? When he says that he will give her living water. And she says, sir, you don't even have a bucket. What are you talking about? We cannot take for granted that we easily understand and know what Jesus means. So Jesus is giving us a picture. A picture of believing. What does it mean to believe? For some, it means to acknowledge something as true. Yes, that's a fact that's true. Others think that all that's involved is an initial agreement with a fact or a truth, and then you can go on and live your own life how you want to. That kind of belief doesn't change who you are. It doesn't change your life. But Jesus wants us to see that believing is deeper. It involves more than that. It's ongoing. And so he uses this picture of eating and drinking. It reminds us that believing is necessary. That you cannot stand off to the side and benefit from Jesus. It is not enough for your family to believe. It is not enough to be surrounded by people in a church... Who believe. You must believe. It is not enough to own a Bible. It is not enough to know phrases from the Bible. No one benefits from the bread of life unless he eats it. It's necessary each and every day. And Jesus puts this first positively in verse 51. He says, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. He's encouraging you. He's calling you to himself. If you come, if you eat of this bread, you will live. He also gives a warning negatively in verse 53. Unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. It is absolutely necessary to believe. Just as it's absolutely necessary to feed on Jesus. There's no option. There's no first class location or residency in heaven. You can't skate in without believing on Jesus. Believing is necessary. But believing also, with our metaphor, is personal. 
Look at verse 54. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. That whoever is for everyone. Anyone can feed on Jesus. Anyone can believe, to use the language from earlier in the chapter. But here's the important point. No one can do it for you. I have to say that the probability is very high that some of you in this room are hoping to ride on the coattails of others to heaven. That you say to yourself, well, my parents have gone to church every Sunday for 25 years. And they bring me to church now. I'm sure that's enough. Some of you will say, well, my spouse has a quiet time every day and reads the Bible and talks about Jesus and prays for me. I'm sure that's enough. No, it's not. It's personal. You must believe in Jesus. If you're here this morning, young people, because mom and dad have dragged you here, and you said to yourself, why do I want to come to church and listen to this guy talk for half an hour? Count your blessings. Because you're here to hear the word of God, to hear the call of Jesus, to know that you must believe. It doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter how old you are. The call is personal. You have to pick up the bread. You have to chew it. You have to swallow it. Has anyone ever fed a baby by eating a hamburger? I don't think so, have you? You still need to feed the baby. It's personal. The third thing that we see here about believing is that Jesus points us that believing is in his death. Jesus is pointing you to the cross. That's what you must believe in. It's not enough to believe in the wonderful story of the incarnation. It's not enough to believe Jesus' moral teachings or his moral life that he lived. You must believe in his atoning death, that he has died to pay your debt, your penalty. J.C. Rao puts it so well. He says, whenever a man, feeling his own guilt and sinfulness, lays hold on Christ and trusts in the atonement made for him by Christ's death, what is that? He says, at once... He eats the flesh of the Son of Man and drinks His blood. That's what eating and drinking is. It's believing. It's believing on Jesus. It's believing on His death. That's the picture Jesus wants you to see. And Jesus connects eating with believing in the language He uses. Look with me again at verse 54. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Now compare that with what Jesus said earlier in verse 40. 
everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him, what? Should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. The language is nearly identical. Jesus is drawing a line from the eating and drinking of verse 54 and the believing and looking of verse 40. Do you see what Jesus is saying about believing here? You can't casually believe. You have to be all in. You have to let go of everything that you're leaning on. You have to believe in Jesus as if your life depends on it. Because it does. This also helps us to understand the nature of Christ's death. That it is a substitutionary sacrifice. Verse 51 is crucial to this. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now, this is an important preposition, this word for. Prepositions are very important in any language, and especially in a biblical language under the biblical text. You know, you can often tell who is a native speaker of a language and who's not by slight mistakes in prepositions. Have you noticed that? There are people who have come to America, who live in Katy, and their English is, in many respects, better than mine. More grammatical, precise, they've learned it well, but you'll often find a slight nuance of a preposition that will escape them. By instead of for, in instead of on. And I'm sure that if I were to learn Spanish or German or Chinese, that what would be most difficult for me would be prepositions. They're important, especially this preposition that's translated for. We might more fully translate it on behalf of. This preposition has the idea of substitution. That is, that Jesus has given his bread for the life of the world, on behalf of the life of the world in substitute for the world. Calvin puts it this way. Jesus delivered up himself for the life of men. And now he invites us to receive the fruit of his death. You see, Jesus is our substitute. Jesus took your place on the cross. Because of what Jesus has done, you will be raised up at the last day. You should have been on the cross. You deserve the wrath of God. But God, who is rich in mercy, sent his son so that whoever believes upon him might have eternal life and dwell with the Lord forever. So it shouldn't surprise us that Jesus uses this picture to describe his substitutionary death. Now, when is all of this happening? I know we've been in John 6 for an awfully long time. So remind yourself, turn the page back to John 6, verse 4. When is this? Well, 
It's the Passover. And what is the Passover? The Passover is the celebration of God's deliverance of Israel from Egypt. And what is the story of the Passover? That God substituted a lamb for the firstborn of all of Israel. And that the lamb was slain instead. And the blood was put on the doorpost. But how did they, the Israelites, identify with the lamb? Now we know the angel of death passed over the homes because the blood was on the doorpost. But how did the people of God identify with the lamb? They ate it. By eating. Do you see the picture Jesus is trying to bring before our minds? And don't forget, it hasn't been that long ago when Jesus came onto the scene and John the Baptist introduced us to Jesus and what did he cry out? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus gave his blood and flesh on the cross to deliver us from our sins. That is the good news of the gospel. You don't need to do because it's already been done for you. Jesus took the place of everyone who believes in him. Jesus gives you himself so that you can have eternal life. Then there's a final truth that this picture brings to us in verses 56 and 57. Jesus says, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. Jesus reminds us that the Father has sent him. This should be very familiar to you by now. It is a theme that Jesus has brought up over and over again. But he adds something here. He tells us that the Father is the living Father. That is, that the Father is the source of all life. And that Jesus brought that life to earth when he came. It's as if Jesus is the river that brings the fountain of life to us, you and me, sinners in need of grace. And whoever feeds on Jesus has that same life. So feeding on Jesus, that is believing in Jesus, gives you not only eternal life, but it unites you to Jesus. We abide in him, and he abides in us. This is a precursor to what we will read of in John chapter 15. That's what Jesus says in verse 56. Feeding on Jesus <coughs> causes you to abide in Christ and him to abide in you. Now again, Jesus wants you to move away from casually thinking about your faith. When you believe in Jesus, you are in for the long haul. Jesus will never forsake you. He abides in you and you in him. And that means eternal life is more than just long life. It's life that's eternal in quality, 
as well as quantity. This is the call of the gospel. Come to Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Feed on Jesus and be changed forever. Jesus offers that to you right now. Over and over again, he says, if anyone or whoever. But yet he also gives that warning in verse 53. Unless you do this, you have no life in you. Believe in Christ. And in believing, feed on him. Don't let a single day go by in which you don't trust in Jesus. He is the Savior. He is the bread of life. Whoever feeds on Him will live forever. Let's pray.